The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Wall Street wrapping up one wild week. The NASDAQ, the S&P, handing in their worst weeks of the year while the Dow just dodged that mark. But it has certainly been a roller coaster ride for your money after President Trump turned up the volume on the trade war with China. So now that some steam has been let out of this record run, is now a good time to get in? Or, Timmy, should you just get out? Welcome. And you could call, you could call me Orville if you want. That's fine. Welcome back, Scott. Orville let, Redenbacher? Well, uh, you, we'll let the hmm. viewers bring decide. The popcorn? We'll let the viewers decide. And you can tweet this. There could be a poll. Bottom line here is we've had a 3.5%. <laughs> uh, 350 bips at the lows today was your pullback on the S&P. You traded through the 50. You did a lot of things technically you are supposed to do. You closed on a better level. Um, I'll let the technical guys talk about the market levels. Look, you had a payroll number this morning which showed a continued trend weaker on payrolls. You've had PMIs all week that tell you the global, bar, the global uh, manufacturing environment is in shambles. Yes, I said shambles. And you have a dynamic here where I think corporate CEOs, uh, if we had had this trade rhetoric uh, three weeks ago before we got into the teeth of earnings season, I think guidance would have been a lot different. So um, it's not, look, we haven't really pulled back as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't mean I think we have a 10% pullback here, but I think, think about this week, put it in the rearview mirror and talk about a Fed that, that, that might be more in play based upon all these factors. This is maybe what the president wished for. Wondering, Dan, what felt like this was going to be a pretty good market week, at least what the expectations of the market was for the Fed, uh, has now turned into uh, a correction market. And now we have the prospects of a bigger one coming. Well, that's right. And I think the bond market is telling you that. Look at what happened to the 10-year Treasury yield. I mean, it just got just destroyed. I mean, it's, you know, lo- 186, what, what, 186 or something like that. The two-ten the two spread at, thir- you know, 13 bips or something like that. I think that's telling you. And it really actually did a number, I think, the bond market on what the Fed was trying to express on Wednesday afternoon. And here we are at a situation not too dissimilar to think back to all August 2015, when we had growth scares coming out of China, where were yields? You know where the 10-year was? It was trading right where it is right now. Do you know where? Uh, I mean, like, if you think about this, the, this Dixie, the, the Dixie, same exact spot, okay? Right. You know what? The stock market is, the S&P 500 is up 1,000 points from there. And so, to me, you get to a situation where we're talking about 2.5 points from the highs yesterday, or 2.5 percentage points. You say it's nothing, right? But there could be some serious yeah, be, damage if things look, start to kind of snowball a little If it's going to be bit. something, It right? could look like that may sell off we had 7% that got us down to the 200-day moving average. 200-day moving average is 27.90 in the S&P cash. We blistered through the 50-day, but we closed above it today. But, you know, every dip has been a buyable event. And I get that we could be running into resistance here, but they've all been bought. So I don't know. I don't, you know, you could look at this and we get that dead zone now where we're not going to hear from the Fed. We're not going to, we're only going to hear negative trade headlines because that's what Trump wants to push Powell into doing. 
So you have some negativity in the month of August that you have to tend with. Well, and in, I think going that's into a, the fall, which is traditionally tough. Which is traditionally very volatile. Actually, August is actually a pretty volatile month. Remember, well, last time we had this, you had China actually uh, devalue their currency. If you look at what that currency is doing today, it's right at the up, upper end of the band. They said they're going to retaliate. So I actually don't think this is over. Doesn't mean that we're going into a bear market or anything. But to Grasso's point, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of negativity. And for the first time, the president has said, hey, you know what? The stock market might take a hit on this, and I don't care. That's, that was different but this that's time. Really da- that's really dangerous. If Trump thinks that he's pulling the strings here, just think back to December of 2018. What do you think? What happened from 12-3 to Christmas Eve? The stock market sold off 16% in a straight line, and there was no controlling anything. And we needed to see to, to, to kind of stop that. That was we also needed, Powell, though. We, that was also Powell. Was Fed, okay, but, it, but, rate, but we gapped up raise. on 12-3, Steve, after the G20, after Argentina. Do you remember that? We had some beautiful trade deal. And what happened? The market didn't buy it. But to stop that sell-off, the Fed had to go through a massive, massive pivot. What were Fed funds futures pricing for but rate also, increases but that was, at that point? But that was attributed to an overstep on the Fed. and the 25 Fed basis was, points in an overstep? And we have the most beautiful economy ever. But that's what, uh, what are you talking right? about? You're not, you're not, deba- you're not debating what that what that was about. That was about that was about the Fed. That was granted. It was some global growth. There was some trade in there. But that was no doubt about the Fed. And it was about QT. And ah. It was about the equivalent of raising at every meeting. Well, here, with QT. here we are again saying, okay, you have the prospects of these new tariffs, and then you have the Fed again. You have right. Powell right. again. Not so. Maybe uh, maybe it was kind of in the language too. He didn't. He didn't go as far as some people wanted well, to. Actually, I didn't he left think the Powell... questioning as to what the real policy and strategy is, and then you got the presidential pile on, if you will, with the trade. I tweet. think that was more of it. To me, I actually thought the Powell news conference and uh, wasn't that bad. I mean, I thought that was a buying opportunity. I... He disappointed Wall Street in that I think a lot of people thought that he would cut 50 basis point or be more dovish. But I didn't think it was a horrible press conference whatsoever. It's this trade deal or this trade, these tariffs that are the problem because you have two problems here. One, it's uncertainty for CEOs. The uncertainty is going to go on longer. And then you have the potential for an escalation by miscalculation. They're playing this very tough game right now, going tit for tat. And that can really be end up being a big problem. And to Dan's point, go a little further than you actually expect. The, the, the problem is you, you do then get back to some of the political dynamics going on between the Fed and the White House. And, and yesterday or Wednesday's comment of this was a mid-cycle adjustment, disappointing, uh, but but but. Pretty, pretty accurate at some point, probably what was, should have been communicated by the Fed. The problem here is that going into that Fed meeting, I, I, I would argue that the market had priced in at least 50 and, and maybe possibly even well, 75. Well, the market had priced in, whether it was 50, you know, this week, the market was pricing in three cuts. Okay, right. now so it left we're us in agreement. wondering right. whether we right. were going to get more than one. And that, that's the difference between how we came out of that 7% uh, trade-off in May that Steve was talking about and how we took to new highs. I actually think that the Fed could be digging in a little bit here, and, and that is one of the reasons I think markets traded the way they did. All right, well, the market wrapping up a tough week, so the big question now, where are we headed from here? Let's get to the chart master, Carter Worth, with some key levels to watch. Hey, Carter. As always, anybody's guess, that's what makes a market, but let's do some guessing together. Can you draw lines? You can. Um, there's a very well-defined, what you call an internal trend line on the S&P. This is a two-year chart, and it is not random, yes, that this stopped literally to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. And after hitting those levels, of course, falling hard. So the real question is, are we in for more? If so, how much more? To be determined. Let's try to figure out some levels. So 
there are the arrows that I've drawn. And again, I'm expecting a little bit. It doesn't have to necessarily be this big or that big, but we're only this big so far. I just don't think you're going to kind of get away with just that. So presumptively more like this. Where might it go? Let's just figure it out a couple ways. So support is, is not an absolute level. It's a little bit like a mattress top. You sink into support. And at some point, you find support. So this is a range of support. And were we to get to the bottom, you see the, the green line here, that would be a 5% uh, peak to trough. We're down 3.76 from peak to trough. So that would be one reference point. Another reference point would be, of course, the level you all were talking about, the lows of June 1. We had the May sell-off. And were you to get down to exactly that low, that's around 27.20, that would be a 10% decline. And those all have to be considered reasonable. In fact, those are garden variety things that used to happen all the time in markets. Now, of course, we dropped 3% from all-time high, and you'd think the world was ending. Yeah, well, it felt turbulent this week. Carter, thank you. That's Carter Worth. Uh, we'll see you later on Options Action. So we started out this segment. Can, can you stay with the the mattress metaphor? I love that. Is it yeah. falling yeah. to support? Is it a Tempur-Pedic? I, I yeah. was just memory foam. No. It's well, time for some memory. So, lift it back up. That's where I was. So going. we started out the segment. You, you, the question was, do you buy now or do you wait for it to come back a little bit? And I think you have to remember that obviously the stock market is made up of stocks. And I think there's one really important stock, and it's Apple. It's the A in my MAGA right there. Because yeah, well, it's a so, market of stocks. So one of the things that's really interesting. We were just talking about that May sell-off in late or May 1st when Apple reported the stock gap. Up, it was up like six, seven percent or something. Gave it back. Look at that chart right there. And then we had all that trade volatility, downward volatility. Apple stock sold off twenty percent, far greater than the seven percent in the S and P five hundred. When you look at the gap, this was the last mega cap stock to report. Again, had a gap. It was reversed. It reversed eight percent from those highs. And I think it's really important to remember if you're thinking about where to buy a good story like Apple because it's had two decent quarters. You can still get an overshot to the downside greater than that of the broad market and. So you've got to figure out, you don't go buy that today. But if you, you wait look for at, a level of where you, you buy it a little bit lower. To stay where Carter was, if you look at the, the macro on the bottoms, the, the, we bounced off there on like a coiled spring coming off the bottom. There you nice go. Nice job, Steve. Coming yeah. off the bottom there. So a lot of times you're trying to pick the bottoms in this, but every bottom has been bought recently and longer well, term. What happens if there's one that isn't? Well, I mean, well then, then the show's I over. Mean. So the, the, whole, <laughs> the whole idea is that in the longer term, historically, the market Rally, so you're a buyer of stocks or, today? Or because, am I a buyer of stocks? Yeah. I think you're getting some bargains in a lot of the semis. I think that you have to wait to, for further bargains. I think that you could see that 27.90 low in the S&P, but I do think that would be overdone. Treasuries are overbought. So if, if you want to take a trader's view, at least on short term, I, I do think uh, I, don't, I, I won't try to see its crystal ball on what happens this weekend on the press between the trade war. But I will say, uh, if you look at some levels, copper was down 3.5% today. That was an overshoot. Treasury yields 24 basis points in the last day and a half is an overshoot. Uh, and I think markets right now are coming off of a week. You, you, you teed it up earlier, Scott. was not supposed to be a great week. I'm not sure this week was set up to be a good week um, based upon how we came in. It wasn't it supposed to be like this. <laughs> right? It may not have been a, you know, a great week because who knows? A lot of it was built in for the we Fed. We didn't expect the tweet. But we, we, could, we should have yeah. expected didn't a expect Fed reaction. You didn't expect the worst right. week of the year with a Fed meeting coming that there was going to be a rate cut. Well, you, you had the I ability, you to Timmy's point, you had the ability on a sell the news event. So what, what now? You had that ability and then you got that. It shocked everyone the next day when the market rallied. You didn't think we were going to roll off the mattress and hit the floor? Uh, well, I, 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 I tell you what, I didn't think the mattress was going to have a lot of spring to it. But, but I, I do think that the Fed ultimately <laughs> sound effects on. was really something that actually set us up for a difficult week. All right, coming up, square plunging on a rare double downgrade. But one top tech investor. 
Investor says now is the perfect time to get in. Paul Meeks joins us with the five tech stocks he is itching to buy. He'll bring you the names just ahead. And later, Social Security, the social media stocks holding up in the sell-off. So should you be betting on these names? We'll debate that. We're live from Times Square on this Friday night in New York City. And there's much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tough day for Square investors. That stock plummeting following a rare double downgrade. It's our call of the day today. Evercore ISI dropping its rating on the stock by two notches to underperform. They also cut the price target to 64 bucks a share. And it comes after Square offered up a disappointing earnings outlook. Who wants a crack at this? What I hear about yeah. this one is it's still too rich and the chart's bad. The, pro- the problem you have here is that I, I love Square in terms of the long-term projection of what this is going to do, but growth is slowing. Emerging growth is slowing, and you have a lot of competition. So the question that investors have to ask themselves now, uh, is the market saturated? How much can they squeeze out of the base that they already have? And then how long will it take for other projects to kind of kick in? They did great selling Bitcoin, but it was such a tiny part of their revenue that it really doesn't have any impact on it. So as much as I like Square in the long term, for here, I think you do have to stay away. Look, I, I, I think Square is having an impact on small businesses, and I think that the total package of services, including subscription services, that are a driver for at least 2020 revenues are things that people should get excited about. In this environment, high multiple stocks aren't going to do too well. And in fact, if you look even with some of the pressure that PayPal's been under, it doesn't surprise me to see uh, that Square gets painted with a brush. And in fact, it's a much higher multiple at Square. Uh, I was bullish on the stock going into this print, to be clear. And I think it's a great company, and I think there's a lot of growth ahead. All right. Our next guest says now could be the perfect time to get in on Square. Veteran tech investor and portfolio manager of the Wirex Fund, Paul Meeks, joins us now by phone. Paul, so you're not, uh, you're not put off by what you got from Square? Well, I'm clearly put off by what happened in the most recent quarter, and frankly, their uh, current guidance as well. I was uh, on that conference call participating yesterday. And technically, because this stock is on huge volume, plunged not below just the 50-day, but the 200-day, hey, this stock very easily could go back to where it was trading as recently at the beginning of June, which is not the $64 revised price target on the sell side today, but actually $60. And so there is some downside risk. However, over the long term, you know, just as some of the folks on the uh, desk have just said, I do like it, and I like to buy stocks, you know, a la Warren Buffett, you know, be uh, greedy when others are fearful. Yeah. And I do believe that over time, their growth will, if it doesn't necessarily reaccelerate, it'll stabilize, and it will deserve a nice valuation. It, uh, it, so it, I think it's uh, interesting, and I do like the fact that they're doubling down and focusing 
on their business, which should uh, be a catalyst in the future by you know selling ca uh, caviar to DoorDash and taking that sounds, money and refocusing. Forgive me, but it sounds to me though like even though you like it, you think you can get it even cheaper than where it is today. You wouldn't jump in here. You know what I would do, and that's an excellent question, is if I didn't own the stock, and I do own it, I would start nibbling today, yeah, at this very price, because I never know when it's actually going to uh, trough. What I've decided to do is keep my eye on adding to it, but I do want to, like everybody else on the desk, uh, wait to see at least semblance of some stabilization. You know, it's interesting. You have other names on your list, too, and one of them is another blow-up, and, and that's AMD. Do you, do you yeah, step I, in and buy that today? Same thing would go. I would uh, wait for stabilization. The problem with uh, AMD, and I'm still long-term confident, is they have three pretty powerful product cycles coming, including one that's going to be announced just this next Wednesday. However, in the meantime, you probably don't have a real reacceleration of revenues until at least we get to the beginning of 2020. And so that's the uh, crux. Uh, I think I feel very comfortable about some massive gain share next year particularly versus NVIDIA and Intel. In the meantime, when do you go in before that happens? You know, obviously we have the back half of 2019. Maybe the catalyst is you don't wait till January 1st of 2020, but you wait until you at least in the back half of 19 hear about some nice product design wins, which will result in revenues with some certainty. And I think the time to act and double down on that stock is maybe in the next couple of weeks, months, when we get some design win announcements. And I think they'll be coming. Yeah. Paul, it's good to talk to you tonight. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk yes, to you sir. soon. That's Paul Meeks uh, joining us there. So when you look at these names, Square, I, I love the stock. It was a home run for me. It was a grand slam. Owned it as an early teenager, $12. Ran it up to all the way to 100 and I gave a hell of a lot back because I still believed in the story, and I wound up selling it in the mid to high 70s. But now when I look at it, I'm out of the name. When they start to change the narrative off of GPV, gross payment volume, and when you start to look at that declining, that to me scares me, and I think it's got a lot of headwinds going forward. So I want to wait to it substantially stabilizes. Paul's been around the street for a long time now. This feels a little bubbly, and if we all think that the market has the propensity to sell off, these names are going to get hit the hardest. You're going to have a lot more bargains ahead of you. I well, I mean, the one thing you do need to know about the semiconductors is there's another trade war going on between uh, Korea and Japan. It's impacting supply chains, and that actually could impact the, all these tech stocks and the semis through the end of the year. I would just compare the two uh, moves we had down. The trade war stocks were hurt more in the last cycle down than they were in the previous cycle. I think you have to be more careful now. Okay. Coming up, an emerging threat to your money. Uh, one key part of the market is shooting off big warning flames. So. How can you take cover? But first, spreading their wings. The social media stocks have been flying high. We'll find out what's driving the gains. I'm Scott Wagner, live from the NASDAQ market site tonight. And much more Fast Money is right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We're back on Fast Money. Social stocks spreading their wings and taking flight despite all the scrutiny from Washington and consumers alike. Pinterest in particular having its best day ever. Julia Borson's got the details from Los Angeles for us tonight. Julia. Scott, despite concerns that Pinterest, Snap and Twitter were going to hit a wall, all three of those companies this quarter showing that to the contrary, they have got room to run revving up growth of users and revenue. Pinterest shares soaring today after beating expectations across the board, growing the company's overall user base 30% in the past year. And even in the saturated U.S. market, Pinterest grew users 13%. It also raised guidance for the rest of the year. The company is saying its investment in making it easier to shop and enabling brands to measure how their ads are driving purchases is paying off. And it's not just Pinterest. Snap and Twitter and their quarterly results also focused on how their improvements for both users and advertisers are yielding results, which has boosted all three of those stocks over the past year. Snap, with its new augmented reality tools, games, and expanded content offerings, Twitter has cleaned up spam off the platform and has made it easier to follow conversations. And Pinterest and Snap in particular are positioning themselves to benefit from Facebook's regulatory challenges. Pinterest CEO Ben Silberman saying he takes privacy seriously and he wants to give consumers control. While Snap CEO Evan Spiegel also stressed in his earnings call, Snap's focus on the safety and privacy of that Snapchat community. And while Facebook and Google have been dealing with their regulatory challenges, it's worth noting, Scott, they've also grown revenue faster than expected. Pivotal research saying this all points to a healthy U.S. ad market. Back over to you. All right, Julia, appreciate that very much. Thank you. That's Julia Borson out in Los Angeles. Who wants to crack, Timmy? Well, Twitter uh, is a name that I'm long. Twitter is a name that I think it's all relative performance to itself sequentially. So 23% FX neutral ad growth to me is pretty exciting. This is kind of the, the trend that Julia was talking about. Is it, though? The, it, is it, it, it is relative to itself, about which is what I said. All right, to itself. And, 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 and so relative to its, <laughs> its mega cap peers, it's Google and it's Facebook. But why would you that, compare well, it to well, its mega cap peers? Those guys are growing their sales at 25% a year, $137 billion accepted sales from Google this year, and $70 billion in Facebook. And when you look at Snap, Pinterest, and Twitter, they're combined maybe $7 billion in sales. Now, you may look at that and say there's an amazing opportunity, but I look at it and say the year that Twitter went public in 2013, they had about $700 million in sales. This year, they're going to have three and a half. It's kind of a snail's pace here, and their sales growth is not accelerating. Isn't it interesting, okay. though, isn't it, not to step on your toes, David, but isn't it interesting that there's a changing dynamic that's going on right now where you have Facebook, you have Google, and you have Amazon. They report and the stocks do nothing but go down. So it's almost as if people are searching for growth and they've turned to the Twitters. It's, it's a new regime Snap. of growth. Not, I think that's fair. In the, so, of, in the social media allocation space, there's not a lot to do. And I, right. But I want to own a company when there's a pivot and an inflection point from some period in their business. That's what I think I see in Twitter. In absolute terms, you're, you're right. Those guys are crushing it. Yeah, but it. you do not but, see it in active users. That's just the main point. But you see it in monetization, which is what this was always about, I think. All right. So. 
Armstrong. Let's go around the horn and do some final trades. Grasso, why don't you start us off? Wow, we're oh. doing reverse here. GDX, you if you put, if you put All right, no, Tim, you start us off. I, I love that. that. Right, well, now you know what mine is. Keep going. No, I didn't even hear no you. No surprise. So, but, now we'll, but now we'll go. We'll play the four-corner <laughs> offense. We've got over here. TBT, look, I think Treasury yields could ultimately move lower, but in the short run, they are very much overbought. Treasuries are TBT to trade them back above or near 2%. Well, despite Salty Dan's pessimistic view on Twitter, <laughs> BK's a half-full type of guy. I think there's a big opportunity by Twitter. You're a half-full? Yeah, I'm a half-full type of guy. All right. Pretty happy yeah. fella. Uh, <laughs> stick around. OA, we're going to talk about emerging market ETF, EEM, and how to sell it right here. Grasso, what do you got? I don't know. You tell me. I didn't know. GDX. GDX, if you believe that gold has some room to run, GDX right. outperforms gold. All right, that does it for us. Thanks so much for watching. Don't go anywhere, though, because Options Action is up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.